If you have been watching TV shows and movies like everyone else, you might have heard of the show named Mindhunter, a thriller where the main characters dive into the essence of criminal profiling and help the FBI understand the importance of using that medium for catching some of the most horrifying killers in the United States history. And if you have watched the show, you might remember a particular serial killer introduced in the second episode of the show named Ed Camper, a necrophiliac serial killer who killed eight women and his grandparents. When I saw Ed Camper and heard about his crimes, it genuinely gave me goosebumps and some of the details of his case, I still cannot forget them. As naive as I can be, I assumed that such a human being cannot exist again. But I was wrong when I read about this case. The case that I have for you today is one of those rare circumstances where the police could have saved the life of a 10-year-old girl if they took action at the right time. A case where the only fault of the victim was to ride her bicycle in the broad daylight. Sweden has some of the lowest crime rates in the world, and each year, the cases merely cross a mark of 100 for homicides. But the case of Pernilla Helgren and Agla Hoglund shook the people of the nation to its core. Hi, my name is Tanvi, and this week, we are off to Sweden. On 4th June 2000, in the city of Falun, Located in the Dalarna district of Sweden, a 16-year-old girl was traveling in a taxi when she noticed something weird as she looked outside her window. As she gazed out of the window, she noticed a man on top of a woman below the bridge that her taxi was passing. As she reached home, she could not forget the incident that she had witnessed and decided to call her friend to confide in her. After some time, the girl and her friend decided to return to the bridge, hoping and keeping their fingers crossed that they would not find anything dreadful. However, when they arrived at the bridge, they discovered clothing scattered around, but no indication of a man or a woman. Fearing for the woman's safety, the girls promptly contacted the police. The police were quick to take the action as soon as they were called to the scene and deployed search dogs to track down the person to whom the clothes belonged. It didn't take long before they discovered the woman's body lying some distance away from the bridge, unclothed except for a single sock on her right foot. Investigators came across a pair of pants near the body with a suspicious stain, which could have been mud, semen or blood. Based on the appearance, the police determined that the victim was between the ages of 20 to 30 years old. The neck of the victim showed several bruises, indicating that strangulation may have been the cause of death. As the victim's body was found naked, the police started investigating the possibility of sexual assault. They questioned the two girls who had called them 
to gain more information about the incident. Fortunately for them, the girl traveling in the taxi had seen the man. Though she couldn't see his face, she described him as a balding man, having a large stomach and double chin, and was wearing a denim jacket with a patch on the back. The police deduced that the man resembled a typical truck driver of Sweden at that time, which could lead to a possible suspect. After the victim's body was taken for autopsy, medical examiners confirmed that she had died from strangulation and was sexually assaulted before being killed. The police tagged the pair of pants found near the body as evidence and were able to extract DNA from the stain on the pants which did not belong to the victim. The police were able to identify the girl as Pernilla Helgren, a 31-year-old woman who worked as a florist in Stockholm and was visiting the country of Falun to celebrate her mother's birthday. She was also going to attend the summer party event happening in the town. Sweden indeed has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. Cases like Pernilla's murder are indeed rare. As a result, the authorities were determined to leave no stones unturned in their pursuit of justice for the victim. The police kept their promise and acted quickly to arrest a suspect in the case. A week after the murder, they took into custody a father of three, whose girlfriend had alerted them into his suspicious behavior. On the day of Pernilla's murder, the man returned home later than usual and was covered in blood. With his history of sexual assault, the girlfriend decided to confide in the police and was soon arrested on the suspicion of Pernilla Helgren's murder. Despite the suspicions raised by his girlfriend and his history, the father never really confessed to the murder and denied his involvement. When the police conducted a lineup and the witness failed to identify him, they had no choice but to release him. However, he remained in custody for three months until the DNA results came back negative. As there was no solid evidence linking him to the crime, the police had no choice but to let him go. The investigation was far from over and the police were determined to find the culprit. With new leads, they managed to compile a list of 1,213 potential suspects. The painstaking process of elimination began, with detectives working their way through the list one by one. Those who were in the prison at the time of murder or had since passed away were crossed off, along with anyone who did not match eyewitnesses' description. The suspects were divided into different counties, based on their proximity to the crime scene. Dalerna County, where Falun is located, was one while the other was Yevleborg, to the northeast of Falun. After the rigorous elimination process, the list was narrowed down to just 64 names, with 38 suspects in Yevleborg and 28 from Delorna. After a few months had passed since the crime took place, the specialized team that was assembled to investigate this homicide case withdrew from the investigation leaving the responsibility to the local police. Unfortunately, due to the lack of experience among the local police and errors made during the investigation, the list of suspects from Yevleborg 
was never thoroughly examined. This means that 38 individuals who could potentially be responsible for the murder of Pandila Helgrin were never properly investigated. Six long years after Pandila was brutally murdered, in 2006, a German truck driver was arrested in Spain for the murder of another woman who was also sexually assaulted and strangled. This led the Swedish police to investigate him for Pernilla's murder due to the striking similarities in the MO of the crimes and the witness description of a drug driver. Upon investigation, it was discovered that 47-year-old German truck driver Volker Eckert had killed five other women during his travels across Europe. The police began compiling a list of other victims who had been killed in a similar manner to Pernilla and concluded that Walker may have been responsible for the deaths of more than 50 women. In a shocking confession to the police, Walker admitted to the six murders and revealed that he became a truck driver specifically to continue killing women without being caught. The police delved into Walker's past, dating back to 2000, to see if he could be connected to Pernilla's death. However, they found no evidence linking him to her murder. Despite this, Walker was charged with six other murders based on his confession and the authorities started preparing for his trial. This would prove useless when during the trial, Walker committed suicide and was found dead in his prison cell, closing the case for six victims but still giving no answers for Pernilla. Among the tips received by the police in regards of Pernilla's death, they received a name, Anders Ackland, suggesting his involvement in the murder. However, despite receiving this information, the police failed to take any action against him. A year later, in 2007, another person called the police, giving the same name as a potential suspect and hoping for some kind of action. Unfortunately, once again, the police failed to act on the information provided. With that, the case went cold and no more investigations were being conducted for Pernilla's killer. But this did not stop the killer from committing more deaths. On Saturday, 5th April 2008, a 10-year-old girl named Angla Hongland was cycling back home from playing football at a local community centre. It was the first time she had made the 2.9-mile journey alone. However, her mother was supposed to pick her up from the centre. Since her cycle was stored at the community centre for winter, Angla wanted to bring it home to prepare it for the summer season. Angla was thrilled to be cycling home alone for the first time. Her mother, Karina, was worried about her safety and didn't want her to go alone. After persistent pleas, she reluctantly allowed her daughter to go on one condition that Angela would answer her phone every 10 minutes when Karina called. Angela, excited to be independent, agreed to his mother's condition. With several phone calls, Karina felt assured that Angela would be arriving home shortly, with the last call indicating that she was only 20 minutes away. Hoping to encourage her daughter's independence and self-confidence, 
Karina decided against calling her during the last 10 minutes of Angla's journey. But soon, 20 minutes turned into 30 and 30 turned into 40 when Angla did not reach their house. Karina realized that she had calculated her time of journey incorrectly as she initially thought that Angla would be home in 20 minutes but in reality it should only have taken 10 with panic rising she quickly got into her car and began searching for Angla hoping that her cycle had suffered from a flat tire or worse she fell off her bike as Karina retraced Angla's route She stopped to ask their neighbors if she had seen their daughter. They confirmed that they had spotted Angla cycling nearby, but were surprised to learn that she had not returned home yet. Karina continued down the road, following Angla's intended path, until she spotted something in the woods. It was Angla's bicycle, just a hundred and eighty meters or two hundred yards away from their home. Karina realized that her worst fears were about to become a reality and she quickly enlisted the help of her husband to search the area where Angla's bike was found. Given that Angla was just a child, it was unlikely that she had been able to move her bike alone. This meant that Angla was likely still in the area and so they began to search for her. They soon discovered a set of tire tracks. and immediately contacted the police for assistance the authorities swiftly responded to the call and deployed helicopters and boats to aid in the search of angla her parents and other volunteers also joined the search effort they scoured the area for angla but unfortunately all leads were exhausted while dividing the teams the search and investigation teams proved to be more efficient It also resulted in miscommunication between them, hindering their efforts to find the missing girl. On the day Angla went missing, a resident named Thomas was on a walk in the nearby woods with his wife and friends. Thomas had just bought a new digital camera and was testing out its features when Angla rode past them on her bike. Wanting to see new features of the camera, Thomas clicked her photograph. and saw a red sab car driving right behind angla acting quickly thomas managed to capture a photo of the vehicle as well the image was clear and crisp enabling the number plate of the car to be visible without wasting a moment thomas went straight to the police station and handed over the photographs explaining how he had seen the car following angla he hoped that the evidence he had provided would lead to the discovery of angla and the capture of the perpetrator two days after her disappearance the search team received the photographs and immediately began investigating the car's number plate to identify its owner one of the officers in the search team was tasked with investigating the number plate and identifying the person it belonged to when the police reached the car's recorded address They found the suspect inside the house and quickly arrested him. While in custody, the police officers noticed that his appearance resembled that of Pandila's murderer, which raised suspicions. They collected DNA samples from him and decided to compare them with the DNA found near Pandila's body. 
Anders Ackland, the suspect in Angela's case, was extensively interrogated by the police for several days. During his arrest, the police discovered blood stains in the back seat and trunk of his red sab, and the tire mark on his car matched those found near Engla's abandoned bike. When the police searched Eklund's residence, they discovered a significant amount of pornographic magazines, evidence of animal abuse, and a large amount of child pornography on his desktop. Additionally, they found women's underwear that he had worn. The evidence discovered during the search suggested a disturbing pattern of behavior and raised the suspicion that Eklund might have been involved in other cases of sexual violence. Anders's childhood was seemingly normal until his uncle introduced him to pornography at a young age. When he turned 13, his uncle took him to a strip club instead of a more child-friendly location. From then on, Anders had a long history of police charges, including attempted rape, providing alcohol to minors, sexual misconduct, and stealing girls' underwears from school. He spent some time in prison. with his longest sentence being a year and 10 months and upon his release he quickly went and assaulted another woman on april 11 2008 just 6 days after engla's disappearance the dna samples collected from anders eklund matched the dna found on pernilla's body the police arrested anders for the murder and he promptly confessed to the killing of pernilla in 2000 later He also confessed to murdering Angela. Now the following details are pretty graphic, so the listener's discretion is advised. Anders followed Angela as she rode her bike, and as they reached a secluded area, he attacked her. Angela tried to resist, kicking him in the leg, which angered him. During the police investigation, Anders referred to Angela as a fucking ten-year-old kid, and described her as arrogant. at Chiki as Ingla managed to break free Anders began chasing her and soon caught up catching her and then killing her by pressing his knee using all his weight on her chest when questioned by the police to provide more details about the incident Anders claimed that he could not remember anything that happened after that because he experienced tunnel vision Anders confessed to the police that he strangled Engla to death and then put her in the body in the trunk of his car. During the drive home, he even checked on her to see if she still had pulse, but she was already dead. Then he went home, made himself coffee, bought pizzas and cigarettes, refueled his car, and then headed out again to dump Engla's body. During the trial, Anders's defense attorney, Leif Silberskay, argued that Anders should not be sentenced separately for the rape charges. However, the court ruled that the sexual assault committed by Anders against Engla and Pernilla were two distinct crimes and therefore he would be sentenced for both offenses. After the defense attorney argued for psychiatric care for Anders while in prison, Two psychiatric examinations were conducted but both concluded that while Anders had mental problems they weren't severe enough to prevent him from being sentenced to prison. Finally, 
on July 18, 2008, three months after Engla's death and eight years after Bernilla's, Anders Eklund was tried for two counts of murder and two counts of rape. He also faced several charges for illegal possession of child pornography. In August, he was found guilty of all the crimes and was declared mentally fit to stand the trial. On 6th October 2008, Anders was sentenced to life imprisonment for two murders. One accounted rape charge from 2006 and possession of child pornography. In its ruling, the Fallow District Court ordered Eklund to pay 850,000 kroner to the families of the victims as compensation. However, the relatives only received 75,000 and 50,000 kroner, respectively, which was lower than the amount requested as the court doesn't allow for higher compensation awards. During a police conference, Lars Lickwist, a member of the Dala Police Department, stated that Anders showed no remorse or guilt for the heinous crimes he had committed. Nyquist remarked that during his interrogation, Anders remained completely unshaken and spent two to three hours in the investigation room without displaying any signs of remorse. Following his sentencing, Anders Eklund was transferred to the Northelier Correctional Facility, a high-security prison located in the north of Stockholm. Due to the nature of his crimes, the facility had a special wing dedicated to housing sex offenders, often referred to as sex bunkers. One of these cells was assigned to Anders for his confinement. In June 2014, Anders was assaulted by fellow inmates in the prison because of the nature of his crimes and was subsequently hospitalized. However, he was released on the same day and was transferred back to the prison. Ten years after his arrest, Anders applied to have his sentence converted into a fixed-time prison sentence. But the Orebro District Court rejected his plea, stating his crime was too severe and did not warrant such a request. He again requested for his sentence to be changed, and as expected, the court did not rule in his favor. Now here's the twist. Remember when someone called the police not once, but twice, to give a tip about someone named Anders Eklund. This was the same Anders Eklund who, after that phone call, went on to kill Engla Hochlund. Here's another one. Remember that list of suspects set by the original investigation team who divided the suspects into two districts, one of them being Yevlebor County, which had names of 38 suspects. Well. Anders Eklund was suspect number 21 on that same list. If the police had investigated further and had questioned the suspects on time, Angla would have still been alive. None of the murders committed by Anders were premeditated. Everything from kidnapping to disposing the bodies was all in the spur of the moment. Even if countries like Sweden have very few homicide cases, the case of Pernilla and Engla shook the country to its core and were forced to face the reality that despite safe environment, one might end up facing its worst nightmare.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Shades of Macabre. Your feedbacks and reviews help me make your listening experience better. So leave us a review wherever you are listening. Don't forget to subscribe or follow our podcast so that you can be notified of our latest episode and be the first one to listen to the new case. You can find images related to the cases covered on the podcast in the episode notes. And if there's a case you want us to cover or if you just want to say hi, drop us a message at Instagram at Shades of Macabre. We will be back next week. Till then, take care and be safe.